0: hello and welcome to episode four of dark chats about space it's a podcast all about space If you've listened to the other episodes, then thank you for returning. It's very nice to have you back. But if it's your first time, then also a very warm welcome to you. But I might even suggest that after listening to this episode, you go back and work your way through the other three too. Because we've covered off everything. We've figured out what's at the centre of a black hole. We've scribbled the grand unifying theory of gravity on the back of a napkin. And we've even stumbled upon what took place before the Big Bang. So you'd really be missing out. Some or potentially all of those statements are entirely untrue. Onwards and upwards to this episode though, in which we answer the question, what does space smell like? I had a very interesting conversation with Marina Bassanier, who is an award-winning perfumer and founder of Arum Atom, which is an experience that delves into the possibilities of what the moon, Milky Way and even Saturn's rings might smell like. But before we get on with the podcast, I just wanted to mention that this is brought to you by my very own book, Dark, The A to Z of Astronomy and the Cosmos, which you can pre order on unbound.com. Uh, the link is in the description notes, and I'll talk a bit more about it at the end. But if it doesn't get enough pre orders, it won't happen. So please, if you get a second, go and have a look at the book and see whether or not it appeals to you. So here we go a chat with Marina Barsania. Are you ready? Let's go. So Marina thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you. So we're going to we're <laughs> going
0: to be talking a lot today about aromatum and essentially the smell of space which is intriguing enough a topic as it is but I would like to start at the beginning
1: mm-hmm.
0: how aromatum came about and how you began with your space adventure. So were you always a scientist?
1: No, quite quite the contrary. I was so terrified of science until about 10 years ago I was really bad at science in school in high school uh, to the point that my teachers at high school told me that I was you know my brain wasn't up to scratch and I should forget about anything scientific
0: were you just not interested were they not keeping you interested I wasn't
1: interested no I I had no interest in it but I was also it was never taught in a way that was exciting or fun or interesting Mm. for me and I was, I was really, really bad. <laughs> Apart from <laughs> biology, I was really bad at everything. Mathematics, physics, chemistry. And I, was, I hated it, I just felt so stupid for so many years. And my teachers encouraged that feeling of being stupid, to be honest with you. So I uh, went down the humanities, business studies, languages route, and I forgot that science even existed. It was just not for me. I had always had a kind of fascination with with space but not so much space but the stars because my mom used to tell me about the stars and I was fascinated by Greek and Roman mythology mm. so I looked at the stars and thought about the mythological tales and that for me but it was no, nothing to do with science
0: that's interesting so the, so your original kind of relationship with space was much more to do with the yeah. mythological the artistic yeah,
1: absolutely it was, it was more the old tales that I found really fascinating and So I became a perfumer because I, uh, not because I set out to be a perfumer, but because I have a weird fascination with with smells, not Mm. necessarily perfume, but actual smells. Since I've been a child, I've been fascinated by smells and I smell everything. And when I was a kid, if something didn't have a smell, I, I would have to, my head would Would think really hard about what the smell of that thing should be, Mm. and I would imagine it. So I think it just happened organically. Eventually, I became interested in making smells more than fragrances, and then it turned into fragrance, and it ended up in a career in perfumery, which was (laughs) never planned. It just happened. I was good at it. I got some awards, and so I ended up where I was. Out of interest. So I've got a number of awards, but there are the main fragrance awards are the fragrance foundation awards they are like the oscars of perfume wow and i've got two that's (laughs) so so you know it's just i i was never intending to do that as a career for my life it just happened but um It was about some, it's now what, 2018? So it was about 10, 12 years ago that I became interested in science properly for the first time. And that's because I've always been very interested in nature, environmentalism, huge recycling mind since I was a child. So I became really concerned about the world and the state of the world, the way things are going, pollution, the environment. And that got me reading about earth sciences particularly. And then from earth sciences, I started learning more about the earth and its place in space. And it was just a kind of a snowballing effect from there. I started studying environmental science because I was interested. Yeah, I found out that actually I was falling in love with the idea of the earth and its place within the solar system, the formation of the earth, the influence of you know the solar wind on the earth the moon how it was formed and it's just spiraled from there
0: was that informal academia or you um, were just in your spare time just learning it was just informal learning?
1: it was informal and then i decided to do some more formal study with the open university I did. A, I started with a 60-credit module that gave you a good basis on all the scientific disciplines. So mm. there was maths, there was physics, there was chemistry, biology, but there was also astronomy, cosmology, and geology. Yeah, And it was while I was doing that that I thought, no, no, no. I really want to do this space business thing. So it's like, but this is really hard. In my mind, it's like, you're too stupid for this, Marina. You're just... You're not good at math you're not good at any of this stuff you just can't do this. but as I was studying it I realized that actually I was not bad at all at it that it was just a, a mental attitude that I had that wasn't real. whatever mental block I had when I was younger had disappeared. yeah and I decided to pursue formal studies in planetary science and astronomy and then I got very sick and I had to stop studying. Um, I had um, just some minor skin cancer. I had to have an operation. Then I got pneumonia. Then for three years I was fainting, so I had to drop out of the Open University course. But during that time I kept learning, and I became really interested in science communication and outreach. Is when there was a lot of programs in the BBC coming out about different scientific disciplines. So as well as the love of space and science i was developing a real interest in science communication mm. and
0: the ability to share your passion to with share people. it
1: yeah because i just find i just found these people so inspiring and i remember thinking if when i was younger this would have existed if somebody had spoken to me in this way yeah. when i was a kid i would not felt the way i felt about science i would not felt that it wasn't for me. I would have thought there's more to it than just the boring stuff they're trying to teach me. Yeah. And I got interested in that, in the whole psychological issue of, of how badly science was taught to me, how little encouragement there was for people like me. Mm. Also, especially as a girl, nobody even thought about me and science in little village in Spain. So I think it's, it's just been a very organic way of developing my interest in both science communication and space. So.
0: that's a very interesting take on it because you can't you can't force people to take an interest in the cosmos no. in space um it does feel like for people that find it themselves it's something that just kind of grows and yes. before you know it it's just taken a hold of you which is the whole point of this podcast for me you know i i I never pursued cosmology astronomy astrobiology formally academically it's just something that has become an undeniable part Mm -hmm. of my day-to-day routine and it's it's, so it's it's lovely to hear somebody else again who who it's it kind of found them rather than you finding it um but when i say you can't force it onto people you can find different ways to communicate space to people which is where things get really fascinating which is probably why we're having this conversation now um just to sort of go back very quickly to when you were mentioning about your um, the, the skills that you discovered as a, as, a, as a perfumer, do you think it was just your passion that allowed you to garner these accolades? Or do you think you are actually one of those small amount of people that actually have a genetic ability to smell nuance in a way that other people don't?
1: Well, it's quite interesting because they say that noses are born, but I'm probably, that's what they call us, by the way, noses. I'm a nose yeah. with a body attached like to it. Like a sommelier. <laughs> or like, yes, yeah. that, that is what we are. But um, I think the pro- there are people who have that ability, but it's mostly about training your nose, yeah. just like you train your eyesight, your ear when you're learning music. So you may have uh, you know, an ability, more facility, more, more. it's easier for you than it is for other people, but you still have to train it so i think the reason it happened is because i i was doing it because i love doing it i was not doing it as a business to earn money to be anybody it was just a passion of mine that i took on i developed it and it just went where it went there was no there was no direction it just Mm. happened people liked what i did they appreciated it and i ended up there without ever expecting it
0: well it, I mean it's 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 great to hear that you're fully recovered now from yes. your illness and you've returned to academia yes. once more.
1: So as soon as I felt that I was ready to take on the challenge, I mean I tried it once and it was still too early, so I had to admit defeat and stop again. But when I knew that I was it was the time, you know, so there was something that just said, it is now, I just have to do this now. So what I decided to do was that I'm going to enroll full time On a degree in planetary science and astronomy, I went to Birkbeck University of London, started in September 2015, and I just finished my exams three months ago. It was May this year I finished my exams. Congratulations.
0: And now you're here at Westminster University.
1: I am. So I have just started... A PhD in astrobiology under the supervision of Lewis Dartnell.
0: Fantastic! Who was the first guest on this? podcast. I know. And it's a complete coincidence, just for the, for the listeners of this podcast. Um, it was uh, you know uh, just a complete coincidence that it, that Lewis happens to be your supervisor in your course, which yeah. is just fantastic. And what an amazing guest he was <laughs> as well. Um, so let's let's go back for a minute. So you're currently studying your phd yeah but you've got a you must have acquired a huge amount of information about the cosmos and astronomy up to this point anyway through both your studies and through your interest yeah how did aromatum come about
1: so aromatum was something that again i think it was just going to happen at some point i have two really big interest passions in in life one is smell and i mean olfaction the, the the weirdness of smell and how we smell things and how it smell and olfaction affects our the way we feel affects the way we learn the way we communicate even and the other thing is space so I think it was just a matter of time before those two things collided in my brain and decided to do something and it was just in my head now and again I would just think about the chemistry that i was studying for some of the planetary surfaces and think oh this must stink or this must smell weird (laughs) and and it's just little thoughts that started even before i i started studying to be honest with you it's been in my head for about four or five years before i developed it and it, it was just there at the back of my mind and i thought about it for a couple of years one day i'm going to do this and then last year I decided I had to do it before I finished my degree. And when I get something in my mind, I just do it.
0: And so aromatums, in simple terms, just stands for what does space smell like?
1: Yes, so aromatum is is two words. It's aroma and it's atom. So it's about the smell of different molecules, different atoms floating around in, in space or in planets. The name is not my my idea i actually asked a a friend of mine a perfumer friend of mine Sarah McCartney to help me so she came up with the name and with the hashtag of space smells like and and it's basically a virtual journey through space but it's a journey that you take with olfaction as your guide so using smells and and the olfactory sense as a tool to engage the imagination through mm. this journey. Basically.
0: It's it's amazing to hear you say that, actually. And it's, it's amazing how much of a recurrent theme uh, the concepts of space and imagination are, regardless of who you talk to. Yeah. People that are passionate about space space is such an evocative landscape for the imagination in one way or another and just you know in the previous podcasts uh, the previous sorry the previous conversations I've been having having whether or not it's been uh, you know sort of professor Dartnell or whether it's been uh, David from the Imper- Imperial College or whether uh, it's Michael from from, from Manchester University you know these guys are serious heavyweight academics and yet they still just have a passion for the the possibilities mm-hmm. of the universe and that's where things become so evocative and interesting yes. so how did how did you go from what once you, you had the hashtags space smells like you had the concept you had the tools at your disposal yeah. to create the smell of space where do you go from there how does it so begin?
1: from there I so originally it was like, it was an artistic an olfactory experimental artistic thing that I wanted to create before it became anything else I just wanted to make these smells for myself out of curiosity, I just wanted to make them. So I have a a small perfume lab where I create all my fragrances. I do everything myself by hand. I don't Mm. use a manufacturer. So I have all the perfume materials that are at my disposal. So I just sat down. I have a whole, I've got a notebook full of bits of chemistry and each planet or each moon has its own little section with the chemistry of the surface or the chemistry of the atmosphere. And then from there I started thinking, okay, well, most of this doesn't have a smell. These things smell really rank. These things um, (laughs) could smell like something, but, you know, it's probably quite dangerous to smell. So I selected the things that were safe to smell, whether they smell good or bad. It wasn't about creating a good smell. It was about creating a smell. That was
0: anchored in some way in in reality, reality. and of course, there's going to be some creative license involved in bringing it to life. You don't want people uh, falling ill as a result of this experience, but you do want to have something that's grounded some way in the science of it.
1: So I just created a. A bunch of smells. That is literally <laughs> what I did. And I...
0: Talk me through your research process. How, how did how did you go about starting? So What, what was the first subject that you, 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 you began with? Was so it the moon? The
1: first was the moon, yes. And, and I was fascinated by the moon because, obviously, very close to the Earth. I studied it before I studied anything else in space. But also, um, one of my lecturers at Birkbeck, Jan Crawford, he's so passionate about the moon and I think mm. I sort of, I really picked that up from him and when I was studying at Birkbeck I got to look at lunar samples under a microscope Wow! beautiful, you know, things to see yeah. and and also we have um, obviously we've, ha- we've been to the moon we've had astronauts that have been to the moon and they have stories about the things that they smelled when they, after being on the surface of the moon, when they back into the lunar uh, module, they had moon dust on their their boots and their spacesuits yeah and they spoke about the smell of the moon so that was for me the the clear place to start because Mm. we actually had an account of what the moon smells like yeah and also we have accounts from astronauts that have been to the International Space Station telling yes. us what they smell when they go back after being doing their little space walks. So that was for me the clear place to start. Yeah. And that was not something I had to imagine. That was something that I had heard and I could actually say, okay, I can make that smell. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. So what, what, I what kind of
0: things were these accounts from people that have done space walks from astronauts? What were their accounts of the smell? So
1: for the moon, the, the thing that it's, you may have read it, you've probably seen it somewhere, is that they said it smelled like spent gunpowder. Mm. So, that's what they all said. For this, for actual space, that the astronauts that go to the International Space Station, there are a number of different things. Uh, you mentioned Chris Hadfield. Yes, earlier. I was watching a
0: video last night with Chris Had, uh, you know, Colonel Chris Hadfield. Yeah. You know, and he he said that he did a number of, I think he did a sort of two or three space walks or something. I, yeah. might get, I might have the number wrong, but and he said that when you get that moment when you've re-entered the uh, the International uh, the ISS, and you have that moment where you've taken your mask off and you can smell brimstone and it smells like a firing range. Yeah. Yeah. So that seems to be a consistent theme with the moon yeah. and that that that's There of... is.
1: And they also speak about um, welding fumes.
0: Welding fumes, okay.
1: And char like burnt meat, like char-grilled black wow. meat.
0: Wow, yeah, so the burning... Yeah, is, so it's that is, burning the theme throughout,
1: Yes. Yeah. So that was my first, yeah. th- the first place to start. Yeah. I also asked my, my lecturers and professor at university what they thought, you know, if, if I gave them a list of what do you think this would smell like if you could smell it, yeah. and so they told me. And I used some of that as inspiration as well. Yeah. I used, as I said, what I had learned about the chemistry on the surface of Mars, yes. the chemistry of the moons of Jupiter, yes. the chemistry that we have found in molecular clouds. Going so just staying with the moon away. for a moment,
0: how did you then start taking what you learned and these accounts, what did you use to bring that that, that, that fragrance to, okay. to life?
1: So. There isn't just one fragrance for each place. So there are, depending on where you go, so it's like a journey, you first go to the moon, that's our first stop. Yeah. And for the moon, we actually had, well, I have three smells. Mm. One of them is the more creative, sort of more fragrancy type of smell, which is more of a, a romanticized visual idea of the moon, mm. very mineral, gray, cool, quite stark. But the other smell is a, a, a combination of materials that give you that burning smell. Yeah. Literally, it's like a, almost like a campfire and, and meat chucked in there. Yeah. So that's just the smell that I created. And then my favorite part is something called um, enfleurage. So enfleurage is a perfumery term. And it's a traditional method of cap- of um, capturing the the aromatic molecules in the air. So with the help of a couple of perfumers, I did some of these experiments. One of them was an enfleurage of gunpowder. Mm. And a friend and perfumer of my, uh, a perfumer that I know called Harry, he, he made a weird gunpowder-like thing that we could burn. Yeah. And the, the smell of that burning was actually captured in, in oil, in fat. Wow. And then we washed that with alcohol to obtain the smell of the burning, mm. sort of, you know, gunpowder-like smell, and have a very, very realistic smell of what? the Apollo astronauts were telling us about
0: that's fantastic and so what other fantastic. smells did you create for the moon then
1: so for the moon it it's that one it's the gunpowder yeah. there's the the smoky one yes and the other one which is like I said it's more And yes. that one actually you could probably wear it as a perfume yeah Um. and again it's just a very sort of cool mineral lovely grey smell yeah. it's hard to, to explain until to so smell it
0: in the uh, Aromatum experience, once people have visited the moon, where do they go next? So,
1: so after the moon, so while you're at the moon or at any of the planets, you actually smell things. And I explain you're smelling this because of this type of chemistry, because of this process. So they get to learn a bit about chemistry, the formation of the moon, its place in the solar system. And then we go to Mars and it's similar. They learn about Mars. They learn yeah. about why it's red. They learn about its volcanoes. They learn about the polar caps made of water water ice and carbon dioxide ice mm. and they do this as they are smelling different things so for mars there were also there is also three smells one of them it's a kind of very oxidized metallic type of smell mm. which is representing the red dust that yeah. covers the whole planet which is sort of you know ferric iron oxides yeah and there's also a kind of chalk type of smell and there's a really kind of almost like an eggy type of smell as well because there are sulfides and chlorides and mars so it's trying to combine all those elements Mm. into some kind of smell and then there is a more artistic one again that includes some of those metallic notes but it doesn't have the more of putin type of notes
0: so then we've left mars and then potentially onto the most beautiful spectacle in our solar system the rings of saturn
1: we go to jupiter first oh we go to jupiter first <laughs> to jupiter okay jupiter for, first. forgive me so jupiter um obviously it's a gas giant there's helium and hydrogen so not much of a smell going on there but the data that we have tells us there's uh, ammonia in in the clouds of jupiter there's also water vapor there are a number of compounds that have probably they have some kind of smell if you were to smell them here on earth So the smells of Jupiter are not very nice. (laughs) They're not very pleasant, so this is not not going to be one you'll be wearing anytime soon. So in the exhibition, I have a, a table on the corner with a sign that says, warning, smell at your own peril, because it has some really horrible smells in there. And you've got some really kind of like cat urine type of smells, rotten fish to represent that ammonia that we find in Jupiter. But there is also you may have read this some speculation that there is hydrogen cyanide deeper down in jupiter there's no evidence of this and i think most people don't kind of agree with this anymore but it is still there and in terms of engaging the imagination it was perfect because hydrogen cyanide when you some people don't smell it but it has a faint smell of bitter almonds and of course, that's so not something. not altogether unpleasant. Exactly. And I actually have an essential oil of bitter almonds. Yeah. So that was that was really easy. And, <laughs> and, of,
0: and of course, I don't think... I, I mean, forgive me if I'm misinterpreting this, but, but it doesn't feel to me like Aromatum is there to be an absolutely literal manifestation of smell on different planets. No, it isn't. It's there as a methodology to make people... Um, uh, sort of evoke you know sort of more interesting memories and using their own imagination to go on a journey around the solar system so so this poetic license if you will it's a way to engage with
1: space with science with space science with the solar system but in a way that doesn't feel like you're studying in a way that's not hard or boring or or that makes you feel like you're having to do some hard work in order to understand it you're smelling things laughing because some of them are horrible Enjoying other ones because they're lovely and at the same time you're and you're being told things about why those smells are there, are and and The idea is to to bridge that gap between art and science to make sure that Particularly people who are not interested in science find a way into it. That Mm. doesn't feel like hard work.
0: Yeah, that makes sense Absolutely and then on to Saturn.
1: And then on to Saturn, which yes, it's got the beautiful rings. And for Saturn, rather than focusing on the planet, I wanted to focus on the idea of the rings, which is what everybody loves about Saturn, is the, the rings, isn't it? So I speak to them about the moons of Saturn and how they sort of seem to be floating in between the rings, mm. is some amazing photographs, and how each moon is different, the same as with Jupiter. So you've got moons that are made of ice, um, more, or some that are rockier then you've got Titan with his hydrocarbon lakes, so you take them into completely alien worlds it's like going on a kind of Star Trek series where you go to different planets and you get to see different things mm. and the idea for the rings of Saturn is that as you cruise through them, if you could smell anything, because obviously you're in space and you can't smell anything when you die but if you could <laughs> smell something you would maybe get whiffs of everything that's, that's happening around Saturn. So you'd get whiffs of maybe a little bit of ozone from the dissociation of, um, you know, oxygen and hydrogen from the water and the ice. You may get some um, garage, petrol type of smells coming from, from Titan. You get of like more mineral smells from the bits of rock that are around. So that's more of a combination of smells that you may find circulating around Saturn.
0: That sounds beautiful. <laughs> so, with this, you, I know that we we sort of haven't dealt with this yet. But when you talk about people going on this journey um, uh, around the different planets and the moons, um, this is an experience. So, how do people how do people enjoy this? How, how have you run these experiences up to now?
1: So, it's it's not happened many times because. The, f- the pilot exhibition was in December, it was less than a year ago, Yes. and I've done this while running a business and studying full time, so my time and resources are, qu- are quite limited, yeah. but the, the pilot exhibition was really interesting because there was a mixture of scientists that they came from the university, including some of my own lecturers, and people from the perfume world. Who only came because they're interested in perfume? Yeah. They would If you talk to them about science, their eyes just sort of like close. They're going to sleep.
0: <laughs> it's that's what, that's what they do. Obviously, as two people who who, who kind of uh, love space, um, it's it's fascinating when you are confronted by people who's yeah. like, oh, please do not talk to me about it's space and like, the universe. What so. do
1: I care about? I mean, space is out oh, there. It has nothing to do with me here, my daily life, and that's part of the problem. They don't see their place in it. Of course. Yeah. So the idea of Aromatum is that by using something that they enjoy which is using the sense of smell they start thinking about a space but not a science just as something fun Mm. that's interesting that you learn from and it was really interesting because the scientists that came realized that there's a lot to be said for including some creativity when explaining science yeah and and seeing the reaction of people who are not scientific leaving completely fascinated and thinking i can't believe how much i have learned i didn't know this i can't believe there are moons with 400 volcanoes near jupiter or (laughs) that there's a moon that has an ocean people don't know these things of course why would they if they're not interested in space they never go looking for this kind of information and they need something different that tells them it's there of course and that's when they go my goodness this is this is amazing i didn't even know this existed yeah. so i've done this with adults a few times and it's it's always great but my favorite thing is to do it with kids is when yeah. i go to schools and in schools it's slightly different i do a, a whole sort of space presentation and talk and we talk about space and the solar system in general so we talk about black holes and we, we start the journey at the sun, we go through Mercury and Venus and the Earth. So we do the whole solar system. So they learn about the solar system. It's mm. like a class about the solar system. But we use the smells and, and resources. We use puzzles and colouring in things to sort of enrich the experience and make it a bit more fun. Well,
0: it does see, It does seem to me, obviously, that the, the, the scientific communication is clearly something you're very passionate about. So is that the future of Aromatum, do you think? Is that's to be that's what a... I
1: hope, yes. That is exactly what what I hope to do with it. So when I started it was just a weird thing that I wanted to do for myself because I just wanted to do it. That's
0: the best way to begin.
1: Then I realized that you know it was it had the potential to really engage the mind of both adults and children. Then I did the pilot exhibitions. I went to a few schools to see how it worked and I realized that it was extremely well received. I got really good feedback. Schools loved it, adults love it and I I'd love to do more with it but it's a matter of finding the time and the resources to
0: to do it. Absolutely, it's actually quite interesting I recently went to do a talk on sharks uh, at my daughter's nursery (laughs) and the the, the bit that engaged their minds the most out of any fact was when I took out a piece of sandpaper (laughs) to illustrate how shark skin feels and the moment that, and I've never seen so many children want to like feel a piece of sandpaper and it's of course it's it's about sort of using textures and anything that's going to jar with what uh, learning is normally associated with, Um, so the most interesting thing you know to me now is that the, just the possibilities that are involved yeah. with with the aromas of, 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 of outer space yeah. what other things have you started thinking about I mean is this something that could just go on indefinitely it,
1: it could
0: <laughs> like what, Especially the with smell me. of the smell of a black hole's accretion disk so, or okay. the or the center of a dying star so or, I, I, the,
1: what I would really like to do with aromatum is to make it educational in essence so, that you were talking about how the children find the whole experiential thing really mm. interesting. So, one of the funniest things in, in schools is that you get some really horrible smells. But I don't take all the chemicals for them to smell because yes. they're kids. So you yeah. have to be a bit more inventive. And I have I bring a smelly box with me. So yeah. when we talk about cat wee and rotten eggs, there's not things that I pass around the classroom. I have it in a kind of the smelly box as I call it. Yes. And they're like, ooh, I don't want to smell that. And at the end, they all want to smell the smelly box. And at the end, they all know which planets are smelly and why, and which ones are not smelly, which one smells like metal. And they remember the rusty nails that I bring along to talk about
0: Mars. Yeah. So that, I'd
1: (laughs) I'd like to make it more educational. I'd like to make it friendlier for children, for schools.
0: You, will, you also might be uh, irrevocably changing playground insults forevermore. Oh more. Like children yes. might be saying you smell just like Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: you have no idea. They say such things. But I would also love to to take aromatum into the earth sciences rather than just space yes. side of things. So something I've been um, thinking about for a year now is the smell of hydrothermal vents or the smell of a volcano, lava you know, the change in the smell of lava when it's magma in the magma chamber, Mm. as it goes up, as it erupts, Uh, and when it comes out and then it cools down, the gases in the atmosphere, what it smells like as a rock, so uh, the smell of of trees in different parts of the world, the smell of the Arctic, the smell of ozone, so just little concepts that you can attach a, a smell to that helps kids remember it basically yeah. so I'd like to to do more things more smells and not necessarily just space in the future but other things as well yeah
0: um so this so so you're you've just started your phd yeah. how much longer will this last for
1: four years four, so
0: a mere four years <laughs> A mere four years. Uh, yeah um, and then once you've completed that you know is is is, is the phd with an end game uh, in particular so
1: the phd is not something i i ever thought i I'd never even thought about doing a PhD. I started doing a, an undergraduate degree just because I wanted to study. I didn't know where he was going to lead me. It just happens that as I was studying, I completely fell head over heels in love with research and astrobiology. And I realized that I really enjoyed it and I wanted to keep doing it. So I decided to pursue a PhD. I was encouraged by some of my lecturers to do so. Mm and there was a part of me like i can't do a phd i'm 43 but it's like why not in the grand
0: scheme of the universe that's incredibly young why
1: not why can i not do it just because some teacher told me not to so um, i think my journey with aromatum is quite tied to my own feelings about education and about the way I have felt all my life. Like I was not good enough for certain things. And then suddenly in my forties, I find that actually I'm not so bad and I can do these things. And I just wish somebody had encouraged me to do it earlier. And it's that gap that that need to make science more accessible, friendlier, and more interesting, not just for children, but also for adults that have lost that chance, that missed that chance when they were younger. To let them know that I can still do it. Yeah. So my PhD is my next step. I, have, I, I like academia, I'd like to stay probably working in the university, continuing research, but I, the science communication part of things is really important to me as well. So I'd love to be able to, to mix those two things. Somehow. of course
0: and and you know it's a wonderful sentiment to, to, to want to make uh, science more accessible but also to break down this kind of outdated belief that you're either a science person yes. or an artistic person I am living or... proof
1: that that is not true
0: absolutely <laughs> and I yeah. did
1: not believe this until a few years ago but, but now I know so because it's happened to me of so. course
0: and the, and the approach and, the, and you know and people's approach to art can be scientific and people's absolutely. approach to science can be incredibly artistic yeah. so it's a wonderful sentiment to want to break down those barriers between people sort of thinking that uh, you know you're either a, a, an artistic person or a scientific person is there, is there one message that, that you would have through your experience that you'd like to sort of uh, give to our audience?
1: So I suppose that like me I have met many people who have always felt that they weren't quite clever enough to do what they really like, would love to do. So maybe they never thought about a space or science when they were younger, but they have become interested in it later on in life through you know, the programs they have seen on television or they have heard on the radio, the books they have read. And they love the subject, they would love to learn more, but they don't feel that they have what it takes or they feel that they are too old, so they're not going to pursue it. So what I would say is that if you just do a bit of soul searching and don't stop yourself from doing what you really want to do because you feel you're not good enough for it, explore the possibilities, and you really don't know where it's going to take you. And I'm living proof of this. I said I I thought I I couldn't do basic maths, and here I am now starting a a PhD in astrobiology at the University of Westminster. <laughs> so yes.
0: Thank you so much for talking to me today and um, I wish you all the best with Arimatum and I look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you very much. So that was episode four. I really hope you enjoyed it. So thanks again to Marina for giving up her time to talk to me. Um, So just as a reminder, this podcast is loosely brought to you uh, by my very own book, Dark, the A to Z of Astronomy and the Cosmos. Um, each chapter deals with a different space-related subject and each subject is accompanied by an original piece of artwork by Andreas Brooks that brings that subject to life. It's essentially a really beautiful space-related coffee table book, um, but it would look equally beautiful on your bookshelf or your bedside table, uh, propping up your telescope or maybe even in your toilet if it's a hopefully a clean toilet or maybe even a gift but you know I'll leave that I'll leave that to you guys Um, for my next chat I have been lucky enough to get some time with the Oscar winning special effects supervisor of Damien Chazelle's new film First Man so Damien Chazelle if you don't know already uh, was the director of The Incredible Whiplash and La La Land um, and this film First Man um, also stars Ryan Gosling um, and I want to find out exactly how the visual effects of Sending a Man to the Moon were realised um, I'm such a huge fan of cinema so speaking to this guy who has worked on the visual effects of films like Blade Runner The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo iRobot Gone Girl um, and just worked with some incredibly talented directors um, is just incredibly exciting so um, I, I'm really looking forward to having that conversation with him later this week and I'll hopefully put the recording out in the next few weeks um, so I hope you enjoy it uh, so on that note I will say good night. thank you for listening and hopefully see you next time until then, bye bye